Chapter 4 No Mare in Tears in La Pradera The first town they reached was Poker Flats, built in a wide yellow plain in what had been, Paul Minks told them, the old mustard-growing region. Her streets were full of whiteies and mixed couples, and she was clearly a town given over almost entirely to license. Poker Flat announced herself as the theatre capital of the southwest, and her main boardwalk was nothing but vivid marquees and billboards advertising simulatings using, living, using living actors of the great local V heroes whose adventures Sam Oakenhurst had already skimmed at Lieutenant Twists. These were elaborate dramas concerning the love triangle of Pearl Peru, Bully Bop, and Fearless Frank Force, or the Quest for the Fishlings, featuring Professor Pop, Captain Billy Bob Begg, and her famous chaos engineers. Many of the protagonists were white. White barkers stood outside their booths and called to the newcomers, So true you'd think it was V, Dallas Horizon. It's the net, Ontario Outer. Virtually V, Laramie Deadlock. Frank Force, face to face, Ludo Land. Their words were echoed overhead in the Baroque calligraphy of the day. Power paint growled with all the brilliant, vulgar bellicosity of the old circus towns. Poker Flats had been the first of the roving show cities to take permanent route. Such settlements were all over the free states now, said Paul Minked, but the biggest were still Poker Flats and Porto Cristo. Paul Minked insisted they visit the shows and understand the nature of these dramas. Real or fictional, black or white, they represent a breed of, of our own kind that has successfully escaped the logic of the fault, discovering new universes beyond our own. There, my friends, chaos and singularity perpetually war, are perpetually in balance, and sometimes one is no longer certain which is which. Philosophies become blurred and intermingled out there in the second ether. This was how I first learned that it was possible to move from one version of our universe to another and survive. We never die, my dear friends. We are, however, perpetually translated. What does he mean? asked Sam Oakenhurst. Well, he understands something of our condition, she told him, but not much of it. He is like those old South American conquistadori. All he can see of the secret is the power and wealth it will bring him. He is prepared to risk his life and soul for that. Sam Oakenhurst grew fascinated with the legends portrayed on the stages. He talked about Pearl Peru, Corporal Pork, Little Rupoldo, Capricorn Schultz and others as if they were personally known to him. When the time came to leave Poker Flats, he brought several books of scenarios. As soon as they were back on the trail, he studied them slowly, from morning to night hoping to find clues to the versions of reality perceived both by Paul Minked and, in particular, Mrs. Von Beck. Perhaps the fault was not the mouth of hell after all. Perhaps it was a gateway to paradise. Walking beside the rose, he recounted the tale of Oxford under the squad warlords. The alien renegades, Furious at Oxford's resistance to their philosophies, informed the citizens that, unless they immediately fell to levelling their entire settlement, colleges, chapels and all, they, the squads, would eat their firstborn and bugger their old folk. 
and Oxford rose, went the way of St. Petersburg and Washington, but not Cheltenham, which is still standing, but which, will, but which has lost its firstborn, and her old people rarely these days walk abroad. The squads had come in their black deltoid aircraft. Thousands. They told us they represented the singularity, and we were now their subject race. If we refused to serve them, they punished us until we accepted their mastery. They have conquered, they boast, half the known multiverse and are destined to conquer the rest. Fearless, frank force is their greatest ace, but nobody knows or understands the loyalties of the merchant venturer, Pearl Peru, whom he loves to distraction. His love is not returned. Pearl's passion is for Bullybop alone, and Bullybop is a thorn in the side of the singularity. Nobody is sure of her secret identity. Honor demands that Frank Force issue no challenge to his rival, yet Bullybop is marked by the singularity as an outlaw. Here now is the moral conundrum we must solve before we can proceed along a further branch. There is a road after all, Rose. There are many roads and crossroads, I can sense them. We can choose some which exist, or we can create our own, but there's a formula I know, and I must learn it. This mania came over one of my men the first time we ever passed through poker flats. Poor Minked was cheerfully dismissive of the Rose's fears. They either recover or they don't. In the end, we had to shoot Peter Agooby, Pearl, oh, poor chap. Lead on, Mrs. Von Beck. I'll take care of Mr. Oakenhurst. It will pass, she said. He will gain control of himself soon, I am sure. For my sake, Sam, if not your own. This demand brought him, within a reasonable period, back to his senses. But his lasting emotion was of loss, as if he had been close to the secret logic of the multiverse and able, like her, to navigate a purposeful course through those quasi-realities. He could not make himself throw away his scenarios. He buried them deep at the bottom of his knapsack. It's unflattering to have a V character for a rival. She pretended amusement. They had found some good beds in a ghost town about a hundred k's from San Augustine. She indulged her weariness, her poor temper. What is the actuality of this Pearl Peru? She sailed by accident through the cloud of saffron and that made her a heroine? In any circumstances, Sam Oakenhurst would have decided that it was impolitic to show admiration for a character with whom the Rose seemed to be on intimate terms and whom she disliked. Such experiences were not, he told himself, helping his sense of identity. Once he caught himself yearning for the familiarity of the Machinois shutterbox, those people were real, he knew, but what he had experienced as myth, she had experienced as history. He vowed that he must never lose her. He was prepared to change most of his life for her. His curiosity about her was as great as his love. Now, he thought, they are impossible to separate. Our shoots are interwound. Our luck is the same. We are of the just. He had a moment's understanding that he had given up his own madness in favour of hers. What had he accepted? You are sworn to this, she reminded him. From now on you must accept only what I determine as the truth, 
you will survive no other way. Any independent decision of yours could result in my death. You know this, Sam. You have dealt the hands. Now you must play my game or we are both dead. Well, this is new to me, he said. Play it anyway. Chapter 5. Two-Step Della, Texas. After they had traded the Rymans and two Samsonites for ponies at the flooding Whisper Horse Ranch just west of San Augustine, they made better progress into Golden Birches, where pale light shuddered and huge crows flapped amongst the black lattice of the distant treetops. They arrived in Lufkin to discover that the Pennsylvania rooms were still run by Major Moira Malu, the shade of an elegant old swashbuckler who had fought with Kit Ondar Taylor at Pam Pam Ridge and had carried the flag to victory for Charles Deslons in 07. At Paul Mink's suggestion, she was to be their fourth, but not before another week's gaming had all parties apparently satisfied. She would draw her substance from Mr Mink. Then they took Major Moira's good Arabs and headed through the milk tides down to Livingston where Paul Mink sought out Herb Frazee. The ex-president of the Republic was giving demonstration hands of cold Annie and telling tarot to what was left of Livingston's polite society. He refused Mr Mink's invitation, but suggested they look up Mrs Sally Gwand in Houston. The road to Houston took them through Silver Pines. The strange frozen forest was cold as death nowadays, said Paul Mink but once there had been fires burning on every mound, they came out into foothills above a summer valley. There's Houston, Paul Mink pointed. The huge city had recently melted and reformed into a Baroque version of itself. Its highways made arabesques, glorious in the sunlight. Yet even here the uneasy terrain threatened to vaporise, becoming something else and Sam Oakenhurst yearned for California, where Pearl Peru, he had read, was a living celebrity. They passed under Houston's organic freeways. The Rose wanted to stay for a few days. The others insisted that they find Sally Guand and press on to Galveston. But when Major Moira Malu led them to Sally Guan's old offices above the Union Station, the buildings were melted shells and the rails had twisted themselves into one vast, elongated, abstract sculpture, disappearing in the direction of Los Angeles. Here, as everywhere, black and white lived as best they could, equals amongst the ruins, and miscegenation was not uncommon. They lost the road some 20 k's from Houston, used up their provisions and were forced to shoot a horse before they got to another trace full of abandoned buses and pickup trucks, which took them across to Old Galveston to find Jasmine Shah, who had been operating a bar on the harbour front until the local vigilantes busted her huge cache of pilas noires. Her dark locks hiding a long, vulpine face, she was ready, she said, to do almost anything. Yet she would only come in with them after she had whispered strict conditions to each one in private. She revealed that she, like Major Moira, was now a shade. Paul Mink had hesitated after she spoke to him, but then he nodded agreement. 
The streets of Galveston were full of whiteys who had failed to fulfil the ambitions they had conceived in Mississippi and Alabama, and were now desperately trying to get back to New Orleans, but could not afford any kind of fear. Black travellers were beset by scores of them, whining for help. Sam Oakenhurst was glad when they got aboard the first schooner available and sailed out into the peaceful waters of the Gulf. He and the Rose now had a better judgment of the situation. A better measure of the situation, and yet he no longer had faith in his own good judgment. The thought of New Orleans was already beginning to obsess him. The Rose begged him to rally. Seems Mr. De Mink does intend to sail into the fault. Yet why would he insist on your finding us a meat boat? Paul Mink had commissioned Sam Oakenhurst to approach the Machinois. Does he want us alive when he goes in? Both agreed that Paul Mink had needed more partners only after Swiftthorn had stirred some memory. How does he plan to kill us? Sam wondered. Perhaps he will not kill me until he has made sure of you, Rose, and you are necessary to him, I think. He knows you can help him. But you too are necessary if he is a, to get that meat boat. You heard him insist. It must only be a meat boat. Has anyone ever volunteered to sail on such a boat? It is forbidden, said Sam Oakenhurst. He knows it is. Well, then he demands of you a complex betrayal. Is this how he would weaken us? The rose began to brush her exquisite hair. Who would you betray? Not you, he said. Not myself. Nothing I value. Betray the machinoir and surely you betray yourself. You have explained all this to me. And in betraying yourself, you must betray me. How will you resolve this? It is a problem worthy of fearless, frank force. She seemed to be mocking him. A moral conundrum, she added. There was a knock on their cabin door, a catechin bringing Mr Mink's compliments and looking forward to their pleasure of their company. And a game of anvils and pins. I have earned your sarcasm, I know, Sam Oakenhurst said, but I am still willing to learn from you. What will you teach me, Rose? You will learn that it is space and time, always a question of scale. She touched his lips. Meanwhile, you must continue to risk your life. And you are sworn to serve me, are you not? On my honour, he said. But in demanding your help, I exposed you to more than you ever expected, she said. Perhaps you do not have the resources. I have them. He insisted. You must draw upon your archetype. The rose took his hand. Tonight her skin seemed fine. Delicately shaded petals softly layered upon her sturdy frame. I have lost my home and must destroy the man who robbed me of it. We are only barely related as species, you and I. But it is time and scale which separate us, Sam. In the ether, we embrace metamorphosis. You and I, Sam, understand the dominant law of the multiverse. We are ruled by multiplying chance, but we need not be controlled by it. I knew Paul Minkton in another guise. Now I think he clearly remembers me. 
He can always recall a weapon, that one, if not a woman. This pair, these shadows, are an afterthought. His interest in the folk could be secondary now. First he must deal with us, for we threaten his existence. Perhaps he is afraid to let us reach the fault with him, lest he be cheated of whatever it is he has schemed for. Believe me, Sam, Paul Minked will be giving us his full attention for the next few days. The others are scarcely real, merely first and second murderers. Chapter 6 J'ai passé devant ta porte. The machinois had sniffed his coming. Sam Oakenhurst stood at the rail of a great triple-hulled schooner and saw through Major Moira's glass that his brothers and sisters had assembled to greet him. Their snorting, half-organic vehicles, dark green and brown with senility, drooled and defecated on the quayside, while neither citizen nor armed militia dare showed disgust or objection. In their city, the Machinois were ignored for the same reason quakes were ignored in Los Angeles. They were unavoidable, uncontrollable, and unpredictable. Mr. Sam Oakenhurst tasted their power as greedily as he embraced their kinship. His veins thrilled with the memory of long rituals under the shutterbox, his lingering initiations, his education and seduction. Beware, he signalled the Rose, for I am enraptured already. I love you, Rose, only you. The Rose held fast to him and gave him the strength she could spare. He knew there was no physical danger. Any decision of his would be accepted, for he threatened nothing the Machinois valued. This knowledge was insufficient to steady his nerve. He had to call on his every resource and never reveal a hint of his condition to Paul Minked and his colleagues. The Rose, understanding the importance of this deception to her own interests, gave him more support. She had no choice. He was her only ally, and while he lived, so did she. And she loved him, she said. By the time they had clambered down the gangway to the lighter, he was scarcely able to disguise the signs of his massive emotional conflict. With her help, however, he succeeded. He stood at last four square on the quayside, clutching her arm once before advancing towards the middle vehicle from which oddly tattooed hands beckoned, their fingers fractured and reset at peculiar angles with inserted precious stones and gold. Gnarled as old hedges, the hands had the appearance of eccentrically made robot digits, jointed and decorated for their beauty rather than their function. The rose was casual enough as she turned to inform a nervous Mr. Mink that Sam Oakenhurst spoke Machinois perfectly. He is the only possible interpreter. He will get us a swift passage to Biloxi. It must be the meat boat. Paul Minked was wheezing from his recent climb up the iron water stair. I know they reserve it for themselves, but it is what we must have. By arrangement with the ship's captain, they were to stay in Rue Dauphine of the Hotel Audubon, a collection of old iron slave shacks turned into elegant cabines a la mode. 
The uniformed whiteys who greeted them at the gates were not permitted to take the little luggage the gamblers brought. These were cabins of choice, let only to passing visitors of their own high persuasion. When they were settled, Paul Mink told them they must assemble at Brown's Bar View on Royale, where he would hire the back room and a couple of simul bottles. They could thus link up for a rough and ready run-through of their plan to enter the fault aboard the meat boat. We'll be going in through Mustard Splash or Ketchup Cove. The bottles were the best quality the Rose had ever seen. Mere shades, Major Moira and Jasmine Shah were nonetheless experts at handling and conducting the bottles, massaging unstable gases, nursing their milky energy into responsive motes. Before they had arrived, Paul Mink had refused to tell her why they must go to this trouble, when the terminal's huge V resource was at anyone's disposal. He appeared to have reasons for not alerting the people at the terminal to his intentions. Her instinct told her that this whole charade was part of a complicated plot to trap her before killing her. It was unnecessarily elaborate, she thought. But it was that which convinced her. Elaboration was Paul Mink's trademark. It was characteristic of his whole game thus to hide a simple brute intention. Had he known she was in Guadalajara? If so, even Paul Mink's affectation for M and E was a part of his plot against her. She was admiring of his mind for detail. She had known him in many roles, but usually he had not recognised her so quickly. When Mr Oakenhurst rejoined them at Brown's, he seemed introspective, but carefree enough, almost euphoric. He told them that they had the Machinois blessing to take the meat boat to Biloxi. This was, they must all understand, a considerable privilege. Moira Malu said she appreciated the implications. Only Paul Minked accepted the news casually, as if Mr Oakenhurst had done no more than act as a go-between. And how much do these great barons charge us, Mr Oakenhurst, for the privilege? Nothing, Mr Minked. They act upon my word alone. Ah, flimsy enough, then. Sam Oakenhurst took a glaring interest in the screens, his mood threatening. I'm not sure I can stand that smell for such a long voyage, said Jasmine Shah. She had changed to red satin, she said, in honour of the occasion. She sported a feathery fan. We must endure it until Biloxi, murmured Paul Minked, looking up from the bottles and retorts of his quasi-V his mask reflecting the brilliant, ever-changing rhythms of the angry pastels. They are unpredictable, are they not, sir, these psychics? Sometimes they seem to need us more than we need them, but I expect they are agreeable people, by and large. Sam Oakenhurst knew he had nothing much more to fear until they were actually aboard the meat boat. He took his place with the other four around the viewing bowls, which flooded them now in bright blues and vivid pinks, adjusting to a formal plum colour as Paul Mink stroked his back upper to make shapes from the enlivened dust. Some of the images were familiar, but many were not. Sam Oakenhurst found them obscene. We have agreed a common principle, my dears. Paul Mink seemed a little sanctimonious and must stick to the rules we form here tonight, or we shall be lost. 
So we need to be reminded of that. Sam Oakenhurst was irritable as he studied the bowl, finding some strands on the screen he could use. He wove a showy, challenging gambit. Planets and their histories formed and died. We are a team, Mr. Oakenhurst. Paul Mink seemed pleased by this offhand display. We can afford no weak links. No, as it were, anti-socialism. Sam Oakenhurst guessed the fat man had found a tune which he must now rehearse for a while. Mr. Mink searched under his veil and plucked at his hideous jowls. Unusually alert, Sam Oakenhurst studied Paul Mink's companions and detected a tremor of victorious malice in Major Moira's face. The Rose's warning was confirmed. Certain of his allies, Paul Mink was celebrating a premature triumph. It will be on board the meat boat. That has always featured in his scenario, I think. I don't know why, save that he follows a personal aesthetic. Her shoulders set as if to disguise anxiety. Mrs. Von Beck gave her own attention to the bowls and began a detailed weaving. A story of a planet and its doom. A wonderful miniature. Sam Oakenhurst understood that now she too had issued a challenge to Paul Mink. These were the gentle beginnings. The courteous preliminaries of the game. Upon Mr. Mink's irrational insistence that they began the first stage of their simulation, producing a reasonable version of the Biloxi fault and some sort of boat in which to brave these self-created dangers. Now we sail into Mustard Splash, declared Paul Mink to their captain. These murky walls will part thus. A magician, he revealed the blinding azure of a vast colour field. We shall follow a river, thus, a hazier network of silver streams which, with his characteristic crudity, he turned into one wide road. This line will respond to the meat boat's unique geometry. And now we must do our best, dear friends, and make the most of our creative imaginations, for our quest lies even beyond the fields of colour, to find eternal life, limitless wealth. There one shall come into one's true power at last. Later in their cabin, Sam Oakenhurst and the Rose agreed that the exercise had been a complicated sham, a violent and exhausting process with no other purpose, as far as they could tell, than to display Paul Mink's artistic skills. That was not the fault, she said, merely a surface impression and a bad projection. It was an Arcadium, nothing more, almost an insult. I wonder why, to convince us? To confuse us? To terrify us? He knows in his art, in his heart, what truly lies beyond the fault. They were lying together on a wide bed, the light from the swamp cone turning her brown skin into semi-stable green and giving her face a deep flush. He still needs our goodwill, Sam. He had expected your challenge, no more than had I. It had hardly been a challenge. Mr. Oakenhurst, hyped on the sensations of his reunion, had merely wished to show that he no longer feared Paul Mink. He had risked their lives on a vulgar display and now admitted it. She began to laugh with quiet spontaneity. I have a feeling he did not care to notice anyway. He was preparing his talents for his demo. 
let that hand ride for a while, Sam, and we'll see what happens. He marvelled at her beauty, the peerless texture of her skin, her natural sweet scent, the ever-changing colours of her flesh, and he knew that his feeling for her was stronger than his bond with the Mishimaya, stronger than with his own species. We are defenceless if he decides to kill us before the meat boat leaves, he said. I'm pretty scared, Rose. The best way to get out of trouble is to take a risk based on your judgement. You know that, Sam. Her touch was a petal on his thigh. Take another risk, an informed one this time. Make a change. What can we ever lose? Not me, Sam. She began to notice the tiny, symmetrical marks on his stomach like stylized tears of blood. He refused to tell her what they were. 